This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Two hospitals have reached a milestone in the fight against COVID-19. As of last Friday, both Humber River Hospital and North York General Hospital have no COVID-19 patients in ICU. And that is great news. Now I'd like to welcome Dr. Joshua Tepper, President and CEO of North York General Hospital. Hi, Dr. Tepper. Hey, good afternoon. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a wonderful feeling, not just for the hospital, but more importantly, our community. Okay. So uh, tell me about uh, how you saw this gradually tapering off, because I remember that at the height of it, there were a lot of hospitals that didn't have patients in their ICUs, but you were one of the ones that was full. We did. Uh, we did have patients very, very early on. We were one of the very first hospitals in the province to have patients in our hospital and ICU. And unfortunately, it built very quickly uh, in the early days. And until just a couple days ago, um, we have had patients. So, and it, and the, it's been a slow decline. Um, one thing we've learned about this disease uh, is that people are spending much more time in the ICU than they do with other diseases that typically uh, land people in the ICU. So it's been a, a slow but steady decline. And to be clear, it could change again in, uh, in a day and, you know, it could change in a couple hours. Uh, but right now it's a, a good place to be. Uh, let's drill down on that. So what is the typical stay in ICU and what are some of the typical reasons and, and how long are people staying on average with COVID? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of different reasons can land people in an ICU. They could be after major surgery, they could be after a trauma like a car accident, uh, or it could be medical reasons, which is probably a good comparison here, uh, which is, say, pneumonia or major infection uh, in, in some other uh, body. And often those are a relatively short stay of just a few days when you get other what we'll call medical problems like in pneumonia. Uh, but with COVID, it's caused by, say, a bacteria or other viruses. But in this case, um, we're seeing people in for weeks at a time with a lot more complications, uh, needing things, say, uh, for like dialysis. Uh, so this has been, instead of just a handful of days, on average, uh, often several weeks. So it's been a dramatic change in our uh, sort of understanding of a medical or an infectious um, disease that lands people in the ICU and requires intensive care management. One of the things I've read from elsewhere, I know that at the, excuse me, at the beginning, there was a, a lot of talk about the number of ventilators available and putting patients on ventilators. That's a breathing machine. And what I've read recently is that doctors have learned more about how to avoid putting patients on ventilators because those outcomes are not good. What, what can you tell me about that? So there has been, again, this was a new disease, um, similar in some ways to what we've seen before or other types of diseases we've managed, uh, but this was a new virus, and there's, I think we've learned a lot 
in terms of some of the complications, such as blood clots, um, different rashes, like this, different uh, blood, blood problems, um, and, and also about how it affects the lungs and how we can best uh, secure the lungs. And, and so part of that knowledge is, uh, and the growth in how we manage the disease, I think, is very knowledgeable or very uh, expected. Uh, we've had, you know, thousands and thousands of cases now to learn from uh, globally. Uh, and there has been a better understanding of how to use different uh, positioning of the patient, what's called proning, uh, what, how to monitor the patient, and also the use of other types of breathing machines beyond ventilators. Uh, that can be helpful, and I'm sure there'll be more knowledge learned ahead still. Uh, so, so you know, what would cause you to put somebody on a ventilator now as opposed to at the beginning, and, and what would you do instead now? Um, so, again, I, I think in a lot of cases we are still needing to ventilate some patients. And, and, again, I think one of the things to keep in mind is the reason we're seeing patients leave the ICU is not necessarily just that we're seeing uh, managing them differently, but actually that the uh, burden of disease that's in our community has been decreasing. Um, you know, we'd like to see it lower. There's still, you know, 130, 160 cases uh, still in Ontario a day, sort of bouncing around that level. But it's nowhere where we were seeing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of cases. So a lot of this is, is less about the medical management changing, but the overall disease burden. I think yesterday or today was the first day we've not seen a death from COVID in months and months and months, um, or many months anyways. Um, and so that's very positive. So I think uh, what we're seeing is less about sort of a revolution in how we're managing the patients. But What's been a slow but steady decline in the overall burden in our in our communities, which again we need to be clear can can change very fast, and so we need to be diligent about masking, hand hygiene, and physical distancing. Now, has the uh, as the the burden in ICU declined, did you see a change in the demographics of of the patients? Did they get younger? Uh, did they get older? What, what did you see there? Um, not, not necessarily. What we have seen is an overall decrease, not just in the ICU, but the number of patients in the hospital as a whole. So there were fewer patients in our ICU steadily. There were fewer patients in the rest of the hospital. And there were even fewer patients coming into the emergency room. So, you know, the ICU is sort of the peak, but we've seen a decrease in, in, every, in the presentation in all parts of the hospital, which is really positive. Well, or maybe it's not so positive if, if people are afraid to come to the hospital with other things like uh, heart attacks or, or other, other things, then it's not necessarily that positive, is it? Well, I think what we were seeing, though, is, so a couple thoughts on that, and it's a great point. Uh, thank you. So the first is that we have seen our emergency room volumes steadily increase, and we have seen the types of other conditions that we're used to looking after outside of COVID increase as well. So we've seen a, a bit of that return. But again, and so I think we have seen, like I said, a return to a bit more of the baseline, which is, you know, we don't like to see people sick, but if they're sick, we want to see them in the, uh, in, in the emergency room and in the hospital as needed. And, and that has been returning. Um, to the second point, again, I think 
we're really talking about the decrease in COVID. So to the degree that I'm seeing fewer COVID patients in our inpatient units, in our ICU and in our eMERGE, that is positive um, because it does suggest that the disease burden in our community is, is decreasing. And I don't think we have a lot of evidence that people are staying away from hospital because of COVID. Now, to your point, was there a period in time when they were staying away with heart attacks because they were worried about COVID. There is some data to suggest that, and I think you're right. That was very, very worrisome, but fortunately that seems to be resolving now. And uh, again, as, as the burden lessened, did you see a difference in the age of the patients in ICU? Um, no, I, I don't have the data right in front of me, but no, I don't think we saw an overall difference in the demographics of the patients. I know in the broader population, we've been seeing some shifting into younger people and the overall disease burden. But I don't think in the, uh, in the ventilated patients, at least in our hospital, we saw a dramatic shift. I, I don't know what the provincial data would look like or the national data would look like in terms of patients in the ICU and if there was a shift. So everybody is talking about a second wave. What are the uh, takeaways from your experience so far that you think might help with managing a second wave? You know, a a few things. First of all is just how fast this virus can move and how we went from sort of no patients in our ICU uh, infected with COVID to having, you know, basically full uh, within a very short time period. And so, you know, I think the ability to really watch for that uptick and to react very quickly is important. The second thing that I think we've learned more broadly is a bit more about how to prevent this, uh, and particularly about the role of masks. And so I'm, I've been pleased to see many cities and many areas of Ontario uh, move to a, a broad masking uh, policy, particularly for indoor areas, um, where it's really, I think we know that it's been helpful. And we've seen that in numerous studies uh, now around the world. So I think that is going to be very, very helpful as well to keep us from seeing those rapid spikes um, and limiting uh, the rate of transmission. So uh, that, and, and then I think ongoing efforts, whether it's in our schools or our grocery stores or in our hospitals, to maintain physical distancing. So we're seeing multiple efforts being made to reduce the ability of the virus to spread quickly. But again, it requires people to adhere to it or to practice those best, pra- uh, best principles of masking and physical distancing and hand hygiene. It, but it, it's good we've learned those things. If we are, we're talking about non-medical masks, uh, you know, the, especially the disposable ones, are those shields just as good as a non-medical mask? I think the the evidence would say that they're probably not quite as good, that they're not providing quite the same coverage over the nose and the mouth. Um, I'd have to go back into the literature to say that with confidence. But my overall, what we know is that wearing a mask and a visor uh, is very effective. It's what we use in clinical practice every day at the front lines. Um, Ideally, I think the best practice is to use um, the masks. I think, uh, you know, a well-fitted mask, uh, even a cloth mask uh, that's not disposable but reusable uh, has been shown to be very efficacious. I think we have less strong knowledge about visors. Now, if somebody was to say, I just can't wear a mask for some medical reason, then I would certainly encourage a visor as a secondary, but they simply don't create as close a closure uh, to either reduce your risk of receiving it or to keep you from transmitting it. Because again, 
very hard to get your fingers into your mouth or your nose when you're wearing a mask, but it's quite easy to reach up and, and, and contact your face when you're wearing a visor. Uh, yeah, I, w- I was wondering about that, and I just uh, want to check again. You're saying that a cloth mask is better than a disposable mask? No. So if you have a surgical mask, that's great. But I know that it's not easy for people to always get the surgical mask or to be able to afford a surgical mask. So what I would say is that the cloth mask for everyday use uh, for the average person uh, is a really good intervention and it is reusable, which is it makes it a more cost effective option for people. Here in the hospital or in dentist settings or others, people are using surgical masks, but we're in a clinical setting and, and that's a bit different. So uh, again, I, I think for people to be able to go out and, and, and uh, acquire a cloth mask is, is very helpful. Okay, but a, but a disposable is just as good. Yeah, disposable, these disposables, what we'll call a surgical mask. Yeah. You know, as people think about the blue, or typically yeah. blue, they can be white, but typically the blue disposable surgical masks are excellent. And if you can afford those and if they're available, um, then, uh, then those are very useful. And if you and, use and, them, and they work very well. Yeah. If you use them more than once, like you use them for a few minutes and then put them away and use them again, is that okay or not? For which? The cloth or the disposable? The disposable. So ideally, it really will depend how you store it. For example, I get one mask that I use all day. And when I'm talking to you on the phone now, I've washed my hands, carefully removed my mask. It's sitting beside me on my desk on a clean piece of paper. And I'm going to carefully, and it's not crumpled, it's on a nice big clean, you know, white piece of paper. Um, and then I'm going to wash my hands and put it back on properly. But if somebody's putting an IC, they say, throw it under their chin and crumple it under their chin, and then they pull it back up or they put it in their pocket and pull it back out, that really compromises the integrity of these masks. And it really mixes what's on the outside of the mask on what's on the inside of the mask, and it contaminates your hand. So a lot of it depends on how you're going to use that, uh, use the mask in between, or how you're going to store it, I should say, in between your use. Okay, anything else you want to leave us with? Um, just, uh, again, to thank people for the hard work we've done as a broader community to bring these cases down uh, so that we hit this zero in our ICU. Uh, but just, you know, we don't have to look farther than just south of the border to see how fast it can come back and that we do despite how hard it can be and how irritating. Uh, we just need to remain that diligence. Okay, Dr. Joshua Tepper, thanks so much for being with us and congratulations. Thank you so much. We, we've gotten here together. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.